Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today, in light of our readings, I'd like to reflect on a central biblical theme, one that has preoccupied and fascinated theologians across the century, but one that I think we don't think about sufficiently. I'm talking about election. Election. The biblical God is an electing God. That is to say, a God who chooses. Out of all the people on earth, God chose Abraham and drew from him a great nation. He chose Jacob and not Esau. He chose Joseph, not his brothers, for special work. Chose Moses among all the people to be liberator. He chose among many Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel to be prophets. He chose David and Solomon to be kings. Generally speaking, he chose Israel to be a nation peculiarly his own. Now I know in much contemporary spirituality, this idea is pretty alien. You know, we think of God maybe as the deep background of life, like the force in Star Wars or some kind of pantheist power. Listen, by the way, to Dr. Wayne Dyer, for example. Listen to a lot of the people who are on public television talking about spirituality. Yeah, God in sort of a vague sense. But that's not the biblical God. The God of the Bible is a person with mind, will, and intention. And yes, he chooses people for his own purposes. This idea, too, runs counter to a lot of our egalitarian sensibility. You know, we Americans are pretty uh, equality-loving people. Everyone should be given equal rights, equal chance. We have a thing against people being singled out in advance, certain people being chosen, given privileges. Now, mind you, we have elections. There's one going on right now. We're in the middle of this kind of crazy election year. But how do we do it? Well, people come forward and they propose their plans and their programs, and we assess them and listen to them. And if we like one over the other, well, then we say, I will elect you. I'll choose you. But see, this has little to do with election in the biblical sense. First and most important, the God of the Bible does not choose people as a reward. Does not choose people because they're endowed with gifts. He doesn't choose people because they've earned it. Just the contrary. Whenever the election of Israel is mentioned. Immediately co-mentioned is always the unworthiness of Israel. 
the smallest of nations. You know, do you think, the prophets always say, Moses said, do you think it's because you're the greatest nation God's chosen you? No, on the contrary, you're the smallest of nations. And the people that God elects, whether it's Moses or David or Solomon or Abraham, is it because they came forward, they presented this moral excellence or intellectual excellence, and God said, oh, you deserve my election. No, no, no. Moses, David, Solomon, Abraham, Jeremiah. What does the Bible always emphasize about these people? Just how weak they are. Just how insufficient they are. Think of the young Jeremiah when he's called, Lord, Yahweh, you can't choose me. I'm nothing. I'm just a kid. Moses, with all of his, his rashness, all of his, all of his flaws of character. David, who's a murderer and adulterer. Solomon, who's a, who's a worshiper of false gods. These aren't people that God chooses because they're great. Secondly, election in the Bible is always for service and never for glory. Let me say that again. In our culture, we tend to glorify people who are chosen. You know, you're chosen, you're special, you get the award. But in the Bible, election is always for service and never for glory. Why was Israel chosen? Not so it could be honored, but so that it might serve the other nations. Why were these Israelites chosen? That they might be specially honored? Uh Uh-uh. That they might be people of service. Mind you, you better be careful if you start desiring God's election. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You know, you're elected by people in our culture, our society, that might elevate you. God elects you. He's got a mission for you. And it's going to be hard. Guarantee you. Now, our first reading from the book of Exodus couldn't be a clearer presentation of these themes I've been talking about. Having led the people from slavery in Egypt, having given them the law, Yahweh says this, and I'm quoting now from the book of Exodus. You, Israel, shall be my special possession, dearer to me than all other people, though all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, now, Israel has been chosen because they deserved it. Come on. Israel has been chosen that they might be glorified. Come on. They've been chosen for a mission. To be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Who was a priest in ancient Israel? A priest was someone who performed a sacrifice. And a sacrifice was an act by which God and humanity were joined. The priest in the temple in Jerusalem, performed a great service on behalf of the people. He wasn't there to be glorified. He was there to serve. So, Yahweh chose Israel that they might be a mediator for all the nations of the world. The world would look to them in their worship in their moral conduct, in their living out of the law, in their obvious love of God. And the world would be moved to repentance and praise. I'll borrow here the words of N.T. Wright, the great theologian. 
Israel was the rescue operation that God launched in order to save the world from its sin and self-destruction. He didn't elect Israel because it was great, but Israel became great because it was elected. Friends, to grasp that is to grasp much of the biblical narrative. To grasp that is to grasp the hinge, to grasp the net hole of the Bible. He didn't elect Israel because it was great, but Israel became great because it was elected. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that this motif continues in the life and ministry of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is himself the incarnation of Yahweh. The God of the Old Testament now incarnate in Christ. Therefore we hear in the gospel, listen, Jesus looks out at the crowd, quote, and his heart was moved with pity for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Ah, the gaze of Jesus here upon the world is not simply the gaze of a first century Palestinian prophet. It's the gaze of God. The gaze that God has cast from the beginning of history upon his world as he sees it lost in sin. The heart of God has always been moved by the suffering of his people. What did God of the Old Testament do? He formed a people Israel. And yes, this priestly people did to some degree witness to his presence. But now, now, in Jesus, Yahweh made, in, made flesh. God sets out to create a new and elevated Israel. He's going to graft a new people upon ancient Israel so that the mission of Israel might be fulfilled. So listen now to what he does. He chooses 12 apostles. Of course, 12 is not by accident. It represents the 12 tribes of ancient Israel. In accord with the traditional practice, he does not choose them because of their virtues. In fact, their vices are consistently emphasized. Listen now to this rogues gallery that Jesus calls. Simon called Peter. Simon who consistently misunderstood Jesus and finally denied that he ever knew him. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, both of whom were consumed by personal ambition. Philip, who at the Last Supper proved that he didn't grasp who Jesus was at all. Thomas, who doubted the resurrection. Matthew, the tax collector, who was morally bankrupt. Simon from Cana, who was a violent revolutionary. And, of course, Judas, who betrayed him. As I say, what a rogues gallery. Ooh, a bit like Moses, David, Solomon. Chosen not because they were great, but great, eventually, because they were chosen. Having formed them, he gives them a mission. Listen. Make this proclamation. The kingdom of God is at hand. Cure the sick. 
raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. Here's the mission now that Jesus gives to the new Israel, the apostles, the church. In many ways, it was the same mission given to ancient Israel. They were to make present in their own persons the reign of God. I spoke last week about justification. This faith that straightens us out and allows the divine life to flow through us. Well, these new Israelites were to make present the reign of God in their own persons, thereby bringing God to human beings and bringing human beings to God. Ah, a priestly people, a holy nation. Now, all of you listening to me, all of you who've been baptized, you have been grafted on to ancient Israel. You have become participants in the new Israel of the church. And therefore, listen, all of you who've been baptized have been elected, have been chosen, not because of your virtues, but because of God's grace. Not because you're great, but you'll become great by being chosen. And you, like ancient Israel, and you, like the 12 apostles, have been given a mission to find your own holiness by bringing others to holiness. To find your friendship with God by bringing others into friendship with God. Your purpose now is not to save your soul in some subjectivist way, some individualist way. Rather, it's to save your soul by becoming a conduit of salvation to others. We have an electing God. He chose ancient Israel. He chose the 12 apostles. And listen, he chose you. Go forth now and do his work. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.